welcome to another edition of the Carbline Tech Service Podcast. I'm Jack Walker. With me, as always, is the Director of Technical Service, Mr. Paula Jamison. Paul, I hear we've gone international by like three whole blocks. Yeah, I think we have. I heard we've got Brad and the boys at Promart Industrial up in Sarnia, Canada. They listen to us as part of their weekly safety meeting and, and pre-work meeting that they do. So since it was qualified as Brad and them boys, I'm going to assume that Brad is the boss. And Brad, you should be one of those awesome bosses and you know either let the boys have the rest of the day off or maybe after work take them over to McCarthy's or Brownstone's for a, a nice lager or two. There you go. There you go. And I want to give a shout out to, to John and Sarnia who let us know that Brad – and his group are actual listeners. They enjoy the show. They enjoy what we're doing. Thanks, guys. So, Brad and the boys, if you want to get a hold of us, Paul, give them our email address. You can reach us at technicalservice at carboline.com. You can also hit us on Twitter at Jack underscore CTSP, and I'm at Paul underscore CTSP. Well, we've finished up our tank lining series, and we thought it went really well. Uh, we had actually one of our higher listenerships that we've ever had last Monday, so that's kind of exciting to see on our end of things, now that you guys care. Yeah, it sure is, and it was it was nice to see, and we've gotten some nice feedback. We also, this week, we had Corrosion School. Correct. And that's a function that we do where uh, the Carboline Tech Service team and our marketing team team up to put on a, a two-day event where we work with applicators, customers, whoever wants to come and do it. It's a free school. And we talk with them and we give presentations for a couple of days about coatings. We do this four times a year. There's a link from our carmeline.com website that you can also hit that'll give you the, the registration page. All right. So we're going to move on today and we're going to talk about inorganic zincs. Generically, we're going to refer to these as the inorganic zincs or IOZs, and they have a lot of common and overlapping properties. But one of the things that we can that we can say is ethyl silicate based, they're inorganic zincs. They all have a high solid zinc content loading. When we talk about the zinc dust that is used in the manufacturing of these products, we use an ASTM standard D520 zinc. That standard breaks it out into three different types. There's a type 1, type 2, and type 3. The uh, old type 1 is a type that didn't have any kind of lead restrictions in the zinc dust formulation. Yeah, they stopped using that one a long time ago. And kind of, it was a federal mandate that everybody moved to at least a type 2. Type 2 has a maximum lead content of 0.01% lead in your zinc dust. There's also a type 3, and that has an even lower amount, and that's 0.002% allowable lead in your zinc dust. You will sometimes see the type 3 specified for zinc that's used in food areas, food service. Mm -hmm. We'll also see it in the nuclear-regulated versions. And every once in a while, we're starting to see it creep into some other specs. But there's most of the manufacturers manufacture both type 2 and type 3 to the type 3 standard or very close to it. So... For the most part, they virtually eliminated lead from our inorganic zinc. The technology of inorganic zincs really provide the best corrosion protection that you could ever get from a coating. It really does. Some of the things that you have to look at when we're talking about inorganic zincs and how they work is they do provide a galvanic protection, which is similar to the way most people think of galvanizing when they think of galvanic protection. Sure. But inorganic zinc works the same way. And basically what it is, is it's, this is a liquid applied version 
of a galvanizing type process. We're trying to get zinc metal in direct contact with a carbon steel substrate. And we haven't really talked about the galvanic series before on the podcast, but the reason why that's important is is the theory behind it is, is some metals are more active than other metals. The more active metals corrode faster. So zinc is significantly more active than steel. So then when they are together, the zinc will actually self-sacrifice for the steel. This actually makes me think that we probably could do a whole episode on a corrosion cell. We, I'm sure we could. And it seems like we can probably do one on actually galvanic protection really in depth. Correct. So just know for now that the reason why the zinc works so well in galvanizing and coatings is that the zinc will corrode before the steel does, thus giving you the best asset protection that possible. And keep in mind, this only starts happening when there's been damage. When you have a system that's perfectly intact, your zinc coating is in fine shape, there's not been any scratches, not been any dings, no damage to it, everything's just sitting inert. And with these inorganic zinc coatings, it's an ethyl silicate binder that is usually used, which doesn't have the same susceptibility and breakdown to the environment like organic coatings do. They don't follow the same set of rules because the silicone base holds up to our environment better. Well, that's a whole other thing that we could get into is, and it'll probably be a whole other episode by itself, is, you know, with your inorganic zinc coatings, you have all of your zinc particles encapsulated in that ethyl silicate binder. That binder is actually extremely chemical resistant, except for the very most acidic products that, that, that are out there. And, and the zinc uh, in galvanizing is just a bunch of zinc on top of each other. And, you know, Jack... I was pretty well versed. I understood what was going on with zinc coatings and organic galvanizing. But in the research that we had been doing getting ready for this for this podcast, I've I've really I have learned so much more about this process that I think we have probably two or three full episodes devoted to different parts of this coming up in the future. So yeah, that chemical resistant binder that the zinc sits in in an inorganic zinc coating actually makes that zinc coating less susceptible to corrosion than that of galvanizing. It really does. And that's the, that's the benefit that inorganic zinc will have when you put it out in the environment like that. It's going to be slower to break down to actually have to start doing that protection. So why don't we talk a little bit about how we get the zinc on it? What's the application process that we need to look at? Um, what kind of equipment? This is a heavy metallic zinc that's in suspension in a, in a liquid. And it is just a suspension. It's not an emulsion in there. So, Jack, why don't you tell us a little bit about the type of equipment that we would normally use when we're trying to spray apply inorganic zinc? Sure. So with inorganic zinc, you're going to either spray it with what we call conventional air spray or airless spray. When we say conventional, you need to think of typically like your pressure pot type setups. With airless, that's going to be your bigger air-driven motors where the function of the atomizing of the liquid is actually done by pressure instead of air. So now the one requirement that you really need to have for these is that you need to have an agitator on your pot. So if you're, if you're in a pressure pot, you need to have an agitator on your, your pressure pot. Or if you have a pot that you're spraying out of airlessly, there needs to be some kind of agitation in that pot because the zinc dust, whether it's ours or anybody else's, inorganic zinc, that zinc dust will settle out while you're spraying it. Yeah, typically we're talking about in a 
depending on how companies want to rate it, a three and a half gallon to a five gallon kit, you're looking at like 75 pounds of zinc dust that gets poured into this five gallon bucket when you're done. That's a lot of metallic zinc that's got to stay in suspension. That's pretty heavy metal, bro. (laughs) Anyway, um, the other thing that I always try to remind people when they're spraying inorganic zinc is that less is more. Typically, you would think, oh, there's all this heavy metal in this product. And it's going to take a lot of pressure to atomize this product. And it, and it really doesn't. When I spray this product, these products conventionally, I basically turn my gun pressure completely off and I turn it up until I just barely have enough atomization. And then I keep a short target distance. So the rule of thumb I always tell everybody is low pressure, short target distance. And that's essential because in the chemistry of these inorganic zinc coatings, they have a real high tendency to want to dry spray. And that's basically the condition where the, the coating is starting to dry before it hits the substrate. And if you have your pressure up too high, you're going to make it worse with the bounce back that you get as it settles back down. Because again, this is heavy. It will settle right back down, but it'll be settling back down dry. Sure, these products in the dry film are usually greater than 80% by weight zinc. That means you're less than 20% of the binder or what I call the glue that holds that zinc together and to the substrate. That is part of what leads to the lower natural adhesion properties that inorganic zincs have. And most of the time we see things 6, 7, 800, 1,000, 1,200, 2,000 PSI adhesion where inorganic zincs are typically much lower than that. And the reason being there's very little glue in with all of those zinc particles. Sure. Usually when you do any kind of pull-off adhesion test with zinc, what you'll see is break within the zinc film, not an adhesive break from the substrate, but a cohesive break within the film because it is so heavily filled. Let's talk a little bit about how thick should it be. One of the big things that we notice with inorganic zinc, again, it's a property of that binder to, to pigment or to, to metallic ratio. Typically across the board, most companies you're going to see a recommended dry film thickness of somewhere between two and four or three to four mils of dry film thickness. Generally, five or six mils is about where you start to see the phenomenon of mud cracking happen with zincs. And that mud cracking is the solvent evaporating so fast that it causes the actual film to break. The other way that the mud cracking can happen is if you don't have much of a surface profile. Zincs, while they provide outstanding corrosion protection, are not what we call surface tolerant. They need that good profile in order to have good adhesion. And that poor surface tolerance is actually why it's hard to top coat inorganic zinc with itself. It really only likes to stick to a blasted surface. So after like 24 hours, you're, you're limited to touching up your inorganic zinc with organic zinc. One of the reasons that we want to be careful when we're applying the zinc, we don't want to have the pressure too high. We don't want to have a lot of bounce back. We don't want our dry film thickness to be too high. One of the big things we're trying to avoid when you are top coating an inorganic zinc, the most common problem we see is outgassing. And what's happened in these cases is All of that metallic zinc, the way it overlaps with each other, the way it lays down when you're spraying it or doesn't lay down, it creates a lot of air pockets and there's a lot of air voids in the coating. That's partly why it breaks cohesively when you do adhesion testing. All of that trapped air, when you put a top coat layer of paint on top of it, 
it displaces the air that's trapped in the coating and it pushes through. Well, usually that ends up creating these pinholes in the top coat that you're putting on it. We understand that this is going to happen and that's why most manufacturers will recommend that you do a mist coat or an over-thinned first coat when you're applying that first coat, of, especially of an epoxy, over the zinc because that epoxy wants to get into all of those air holes and you want to let that air out quickly. So having something that's a thinner body than your standard high solids epoxy helps to let that air out quickly. Paul, I'm beginning to think that this topic is similar to our tank lining topic in that we've kind of reached our time allotment for the week and we've barely scratched the surface of this technology. I would agree, Jack. Jack, that's a great idea. Maybe next week we should circle back around and really focus in on the differences between those Carbazinc 11 series products. We can really focus in and, and give some details on what those are. Yeah, there's definitely some distinct differences between some of the main ones and some really neat features. Yeah, one of the big things that we notice is, you know, the cure. When we talk about how these inorganic zincs cure, some of the qualities of them affect the speed of cure, which we'll get into in next week's episode. But what we look at is it's a two-step cure process that happens with these inorganic zincs in general. And what we look at is first we have the evaporation, and that's the evaporation of the solvent that's in the binder. That comes out very, very quickly. Frequently, that's what causes the dry spray is that solvent evaporates out during the application process. Immediately after that, we move into the hydrolysis reaction. This hydrolysis reaction is the mechanism where it uses environmental moisture to complete the cure process of the inorganic zinc. Typically, 70 to 90 percent is an optimal range for relative humidity to be able to have enough free moisture in the environment to catalyze this reaction to happen at, at a good rate. You'll see in a lot of products, they'll say you can apply it down to 30 or 40 percent But after you get it applied, within that first couple of hours, you're going to want to start bringing that humidity level back up to be able to have this cure happen effectively. There's several ways we can check that cure as well. The number one way that we typically recommend is a 2H pencil hardness. Now, that hardness test, basically you're going to rub the surface with a 2H pencil. That's not a number two pencil, but a 2H pencil. And make sure that there's no marks. There's also ASTM D4752, which is an MEK double rub test that tells you how to test the cure for solvent. And then there's our old-fashioned way of doing it with a nickel. Paul, tell them about that. So what you want to do is you take a nickel, and we use a nickel because the edges of a nickel are smooth, not like a dime and a quarter where you've got those ridges on it. And what you want to do is you just rub back and forth with gentle pressure, and you're looking to see... Does it shine up or do you actually start removing some some of the zinc? And we're looking to have it just shine. And that procedure really isn't, there isn't an ASTM standard or anything, but that is referenced in SSPC Paint 20. Right. And what we do with that one, that the coin rub isn't an actual test for cure. It's a screening to see, is it even worth testing yet? Sure. So that about does it for this week. Next week, we'll circle back around with some of the more specific elements of the different Carbozinc 11 series. So we'll see you next Monday. Have a good one.